Well, go ahead and open up to Romans 6. And before we get into the rest of this chapter, we're going to finish up after starting it a couple weeks ago. How many of you guys are involved with athletics, either at some point in your life or, or whatnot? Now, if you guys have been involved in athletics at some point, you've probably either heard this from a coach or you've come to experience this yourself, that having the right mindset, like being confident in your abilities, is like just as important, if not more important, than actually having like the physical abilities to do something, right? Because you can't do things or it will negatively affect your ability to do something if you don't believe you can actually do it. And I, I had like firsthand experience of this. I remember I played basketball. Football was kind of the thing that I enjoyed the most, but basketball was just straight up fun. And up until my senior year, I was actually really successful at it. It was like I was always starting and I was scoring a lot of points. And for whatever reason, I just lost like all my confidence in my senior year. There were different attributes or reasons for that. But all that to say is I just lost confidence. I was, I was scared of making mistakes and I was really in a sense, reluctant to, to just be aggressive because of that. And it affected my game in a totally negative way. The physical traits were, abilities were still there, but men, mentally I was not in the right place and it affected how I played. I didn't play that well. And it's interesting because in Romans 6, if there's one way I could sum up this whole chapter, like Paul is really trying to encourage us to have the right mindset regarding our new life free from sin through your faith in Jesus because he knows that that is going to affect more than anything your ability to live in that victory that God's already won for you. He's helping us like think about it this way, you know, understand these things. Remember, I, I mentioned this last time, it's not so much about telling yourself no as in, in no, I'm not gonna sin or you shouldn't sin. It's not that, it's, it's way more about making sure you know as in K-N-O-W, or you know that you have been transformed into a new creation, different than you were before through your faith in Jesus, and you're not the same. Your old identity, or you used to identify as a sinner, but now, through your faith in Jesus, you identify as a saint, and as such, you can live that way. And so we went through the first 14 verses last time we were in Romans, and we saw Paul, he starts out with a question, as we're gonna see today, kind of a rhetorical question, something he knew that somebody might ask that he was gonna give an answer for. And so that question was that since God shows us grace in forgiving us of all our sins, that means the more you sin, the more grace he can show you. So isn't that kind of a, a, a good reason to keep sinning? Shouldn't you just keep sinning? And his answer is just like, absolutely not, all right? Because that's missing the whole point of what God's done for you in that you were once dead in your sin, but now you've become dead to sin. And as such, you're free from sin, which means that you no longer have to live in sin. Paul ending that in verse 14, what we ended on last week with saying like, so now that you don't have to go forward in sin, you should live in that freedom. You should use your body parts to do the things that God says are good and right so that you can experience the happiness or the blessing that comes with obedience, all right? So we're gonna be in the 15 through 23 today in Romans 6. I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna read this really quick and then we'll go through it verse by verse. So 
uh, starting in verse 15, it says, what then, are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification in its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Lord God, we just want to pray again to just really listen. When we're talking about things like sin, which is kind of a basic of Christianity, I know that we can have a tendency to, in a sense, just, well, I already know this. But the reality is what you've shown me over and over again in my life is the basics are the hardest things to live consistently in. And it's not just knowing it in my head, but it's living it where I'm gonna experience the abundant life, the blessed life that you intend. So I wanna, I wanna understand this. And you're helping us understand it here, like what it looks like to, and, and what it takes to really live in that freedom that you've given us from the very thing you saved us from, sin, sin, the thing that was destroying us and leading to our death. So this is important for us to understand and we wanna listen and maybe today is the day of where somebody that is struggling with a sin learns to walk in that victory that you've really won. So we pray for that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so he starts out with another question here, right? He says, it, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. So he's already addressed, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, this idea of how it's, it's unacceptable to live a lifestyle of habitual, repeated sin. Like the idea that he addressed in that first question at the beginning of this chapter was that you can't be born again, as in like your old sinful self dying and, and born again into a new life of Christ and just continue living the way you used to without being convicted about it. That just doesn't happen. That's not for a Christian, you know, like where you're just like, I'm just gonna keep doing whatever my flesh wants to do and not feel like anything's wrong. He's saying, no, there's, that's not possible. Um, but he goes on to answer another question here that's along the lines of like, okay, well, if God's grace has set us free from the law or since we're no longer accountable to the law because God by his grace has chosen to forgive you of all your sins through your faith in Jesus, is the occasional sin in your life really that big of a deal? Or like, basically, since I'm forgiven of it, because it's not based on me anymore, it's all by God's grace, when I mess up, should I really be that concerned? Should it, should it be something that, you know, in a sense, I take really serious? And is, in that word sin in verse 15, it's, it's written in what's called the aorist active tense. And that, what that does is it's not so much like a habitual, consistent, willful sin 
full life. Like what it's talking about is just like dabbling in sin or committing the occasional act of sin. And his response to it is the same as the question of verse one. He's like, absolutely not. Basically what he's trying to say here through this whole chapter is that sin should never be viewed as acceptable in a believer's life. And then he goes on to tell us why in the following verses. It says in verse 16, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So he makes a practical observation here. He's basically saying that you can choose to make yourself a slave to whatever it is you wanna obey in life. So like to give you an example, let's say I choose to obey my cravings constantly. Basically like, oh, that looks good, so I'm just gonna eat it, even if I'm not needing to eat it for nutritional reasons. I have a great example of this. The other night, I was laying in bed with my wife. We were watching a show. We got hungry and got a snack of some Doritos, and I continued to eat that Costco bag of Doritos for a long time <laughs> till it was almost gone, until the point when my wife looked at me and she said, are you eating to live or are you living to eat now? All right? Now, at that point, I was, I was, I was li like living to eat. I, I was just telling you they were really good. They, if you guys know Doritos, they don't really fill you. There's no substance there. You can just eat the whole thing, right? So, but, you know, it brought up a good point because at, at that point, I, I was obeying my appetite. I was letting it, in a sense, rule over me, even though I didn't need to keep eating. And as a Christian, what Paul's saying here like that is that, you basically have two choices over who you want to enslave yourself to. That first choice is sin. Now, make, make no mistake, through your faith in Jesus, you, you've been legally freed from sin. It's no longer your master, but you can still choose to willingly live like a prisoner to it. And that, what Paul's saying here in verse 16, is a horrible choice because it puts you back on a path to destruction in your life. Ultimately, that could lead to death if it goes on long enough. Or you can enslave yourself to God through, as he puts it here, being obedient to his word. That's the idea behind righteousness. Obedience leads to righteousness. Or like, basically, through your faith in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And this is what he's constantly leading you to do. He is leading you to follow his word and do what's good and right because that's where you'll be happy. That's where you'll be blessed. And so that's where God wants you and that's gonna lead to righteousness as verse 16 says, or right living, which is gonna result in blessing, okay? One way or another, you and me are either willingly, willfully going to serve sin by disobeying God or we're going to serve the Lord by choosing to obey his word. There's no middle ground or other option in any given situation. We're either gonna do what God says is good or right or we're gonna do what's wrong. And Paul's conveying to us here basically the idea that sin is never okay. It's never to be thought of lightly. We may have been set free of it through faith in Jesus, but we can just as quickly allow ourselves to become enslaved by it again if we make some concession for it in our life. And if you're under the impression that you have sin in your life and somehow you, under, you have it under your control, that is a lie from the enemy. There is no such thing as having your sin 
under control. And anytime you make concessions for it in your life, it will eventually enslave you and it will lead to your death if you allow it to stay there long enough. Sin being a lot like those wild animals that people train sometimes to be tame and they mistakenly think that somehow they have that wild animal completely under their control as a pet until one day that lion just snaps and eats its trainer, right? It's like that. First Peter 5, 8 actually telling us that our enemy, the devil, is like that lying lion and he's prowling around looking for the opportunity to devour you and me. And his weapon of choice is to deceive you into disobeying God in sinning so you face the destruction that comes with it, just like he did with the first two people, Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. It's the same tactic, okay? But, Paul says in verse 17, anytime you see a but, especially in the New Testament, underline it, because it usually means good news is coming after it, all right? But, thanks be to God, that you who once were slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching. That's just another way of saying you've, you've placed your faith in God and his word uh, to which you were committed and having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. So there is a theme here that Paul reiterates multiple times in Romans 6. Three things really. He wants you to know where you came from which is in your sin, you were dead, heading to the destruction, destroying yourself. And then he wants you to know where you came from, where you are in Christ, because you've been freed from sin, right? You've been given a whole new life in Jesus. So he wants you to know where you came from, remember where you came from, remember where you are now, and then he wants you to know where you're going. That, and if that could be summed up in the word sanctification. He wants you to know you're being made like Jesus, and he wants to keep being made you make you like Jesus so you can experience his good, pleasing will in your life, okay? So he's reiterating that yet again in 17 and 18. Paul's reminding us here that we were slaves to sin. That's where we were, but through faith in Jesus, we are now slaves to righteousness, as he says in verse 18. And because of this, Paul gives us another principle here that we need to know, as in K-N-O-W, as believers, regarding why sin's should never be seen as acceptable in our lives. And that is, write this down if you're a note taker, sin is no longer our master, so we need not serve it anymore. Sin is no longer your master, so you need not serve it anymore. Paul speaking of our slavery to sin in the past tense in verses 17 and 18, because as he says here, we have placed our faith in God who has set us free of being slaves to sin and enabled you to live rightly according to his word. True faith in God resulting in obedience to God and his word, as Paul tells us in verse 17, as if you really believe in something, you're gonna do it. You demonstrate that in your life every single day, kind of going back to my example in the beginning. If I believe I can do something well, if I believe I can go and score that layup, then I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna at least try to do it. If I believe my car is gonna start, I'm gonna get out there and I'm gonna start it. If I believe my lawnmower is gonna work, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna go turn it on. You know, your actions always demonstrate your belief. So if I really believe that God loves me and that what he says is good and that he's freed me from my sin, then I'm going to not 
sin. I'm going to choose to not sin, okay? And in essence, Paul here is exhorting us believers to simply believe and be what God has enabled us to be. We've been set free, so we should be living and thinking as the free people that God has made us. Sin's no longer our boss, but rather God is, so we should willfully be serving him by choosing righteousness instead of sin. And if you want to think of this from a practical standpoint, if I switched jobs and I had an old boss and a new boss, who should I be answering to? The new boss, right? Would it make any sense whatsoever to answer to the old boss anymore? And that's what he's trying to point out, like a common sense thing. In much the same way, through your faith in Jesus, you no longer have to answer to your old boss of sin. Paul telling us that we are actually slaves to righteousness now through our faith in Jesus in verse 18. The Greek word there used for slave is doulos, which some of you guys that know Greek, you know that word, it's familiar. I've seen people tattoo it. It carries the idea of somebody that was first born into slavery, somebody whose will and desire was to serve their master. It wasn't so much they had to, they loved their master, their master was good to them, so their will was to serve their master. Um, It also carried the idea of somebody that had a bond with their master that could only be broken by death. And it also carried the idea of a person that put their master's interests above their own. Now, what's interesting is at one point before Jesus saved you, every one of us was doulos, if you will, or a slave to sin. If you think about it, we were born into slavery to it. Our will was captive to it. Our bondage to it was so strong that only death or spiritually dying with Jesus could break it. And our slavery to it required our obedience, even at the disregard of our interests as it harmed us. I mean, nobody wants to harm themselves, but we were helpless to it in harming ourselves, okay? But now through your faith in Jesus, you've been born again as slaves to righteousness. The Holy Spirit is in you constantly aligning your will with the will of God. We are bound with Jesus with a bond that even death can't break since he conquered death and gave us eternal life. And we now willingly should choose to serve the Lord in lieu of our own selfish interests. This flip that God has done through your faith in Jesus and changing your life completely. Paul really trying to get us to understand and believe this new reality is a believer that we no longer have to sin. Now, what I would say is John also tells us in 1 John 1, 8, that sinless perfection in this life is not possible. Yet, at the same time, Paul wants you to know it is absolutely plausible. It may not be possible until you're with Jesus and you're perfect, but it is plausible, or plausible, as in God will give you the grace to resist any temptation that comes your way. And you can live in that confidence because God is not a liar. So since sin is no longer our master and we need not serve it any longer, 
Paul goes on to tell us the next thing we need to know. If you're a note taker, here's this, something I want you to write down. He wants you to know in these following verses why you should not want to serve sin any longer. We need to know why we should not want to serve sin any longer. Verse 19 says, I'm speaking in human, human terms because of your natural limitations. He's basically just explaining there that I'm using this analogy of slavery to help you guys understand what I'm talking about because it fits what I'm trying to explain really well. And he goes on and he says, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Paul reiterating his point from verse 13, if you guys were with us a couple weeks ago, and how a believer should be using their body parts. Now that we're free in Christ, and we're no longer slaves to sin, sin's no longer our boss that we're forced to serve, why would we want to keep doing the things that were so harmful to us in the past? Why would we want to keep serving that boss? Imagine it being like this. Let's say, going back to that job example, let's say you started an awesome job, a dream job, okay? And you leave midday of that awesome dream job to go back to that old job that you hated, to serve that old boss that you just absolutely despised, that you go to him and ask him what he wants you to do. Would that make any sense whatsoever? No. And if you did, your old boss would probably take advantage of you and keep you asking or keep you around to keep doing things for him for free. Just as giving into sin will just lead to more sin, as Paul says in verse 19, lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. But he's giving that example. He's like, that's what it's like. You had the most horrible job in the world, the most horrible boss that was de dead set, no pun intended, on killing you and destroying you. And now you have a boss that loves you, that wants only a good, pleasing, perfect will for you. Why would you willingly go back? Instead, you should be choosing to use your body parts to do the things God says are good and right, which will lead to sanctification, as verse 19 says, or holiness or being further conformed to the image of Jesus or going forward. That's where God's taking us. He wants us to be more like him, doing the things he says are good and right so we can experience the blessing that comes with that. And here's the thing. Once you move forward, it's very hard to move back because when you move forward and see how good it is, you don't want to go back. Think of it like this. If I had three trees one of them was planted in my yard five years ago. One of them was planted in my yard 10 years ago. One of them was planted 15 years ago. Which is gonna be the hardest tree to pull out? Right, right? Because it's rooted in the ground the longest, right? When like, minor, like manner, the longer we're rooted in a habit, good or bad, the harder it's gonna be to uproot us from that habit. And that same thing applies to sin and righteousness. The longer you're rooted in doing what God says is good and right and you see that that's what it results in in your life, good things, the harder it's gonna be to remove yourself and go back to those old things that were just causing destruction in your life. And he goes on in verse 20 and he says, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. 
Now, here Paul again is reminding us what our lives used to look like. When we were slaves to sin, we were in a sense free from the obligation to do what's right because we knew no better. We couldn't control ourselves. But he wants you to remember, what was the fruit of that in your life? What did that result in? Didn't that result in the very things that you're now ashamed of, as verse 21 says? Things that now that your eyes are open, you can see were leading to destruction and death? It being critical for us, if we're gonna live in the victory Christ given us, we gotta see sin correctly for what it is. And we gotta remember, man, this devastated my life. This is what God saved me from. I'm not going back to that so that I can move forward in the much better things he has for me. Here's the thing. When God says sin is bad, not one of us need to take his word for that because we have years of experience proving that to be true, okay? We have testimony, just like we have testimony of God's goodness, we have testimony of what sin leads to in our life. And now in comparison, he goes on to say in verse 22, but now that you've become set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification or being made like Jesus. And in its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So again, he's just reiterating the same thing. Instead of being controlled by a boss that wanted to harm you, through your faith in Jesus, you have a new boss who loves you, just as we've been singing who wants to help you live rightly so you can be blessed? Talk about moving up in life or getting the promotion of a lifetime. Now, when we choose to work for that old boss of sin, which we can do, the wages are death. And that's a horrible compensation. <laughs> There's nothing good that's gonna come out of it. But when we choose to serve our new boss, the Lord, we may not get wages per se, but the benefit package is a whole lot better, especially the retirement, okay? So the answer to Paul's question in verse 15 is that any sin, even the occasional sin, needs to be seen as unacceptable. There has been a change of management in our lives and our new boss is literally perfect and loves us, and that has been more than displayed on the cross. And so it's obvious he only has our best interests in mind, and it makes absolutely no sense to go back to serving that old boss that was nothing but horrible to us. And having a mindset of no compromise is the only right way to proceed as a believer, knowing where we come from, where we're at, and where God is taking us to. I think a couple of years ago, went on a family vacation down to Florida to um, like Disney World and Universal Studios. And this was right after COVID, like they were just opening things up. So like you had to wear masks in, inside and stuff. And so we were waiting in this huge line for like one of the newest rides at like Universal Studios. And we're getting up near the front and um, the one of the guys or the people, the attendants in the line start talking to my brother-in-law's daughter, and we're like trying to figure out what he's saying because, you know, people wearing masks, it's hard to hear what like being said or read lips and stuff. And so we get a little closer and he's getting really animated. And, and like my brother-in-law was just like, what, what are you saying to my daughter, you know? And he's like, you guys are out of the line right now. And we're like, what? And he's like, 
Oh, I've been watching you guys. As you guys are talking, your mask is coming below your nose and you just don't respect our, our rules. And it's like, what, what, what are you talking about, man? I'm like, there's like a thousand people in line. I can point out hundreds that are the same things happening to them. It's like, I, I'm trying to lift it up. We're just talking to each other. It's like, I can see your employees doing the same thing. And he was just like dead set on like just getting us out of the line. And, you know, when I think about it, I, I really think it was some sort of, like my niece had like a thing that said, ask me about Jesus on her mask. And so I really think that's what started it with him for whatever reason. But I was just like, as politely as I could, I'm like, I'm not going anywhere. You need to get your manager because I'm not going where I came from. You know, I'm like, that's the ride. I'm right here. I've been waiting here for two hours. And so I'm talking to your manager. And so anyways, they they switched him out and brought somebody else. And, and the manager came over and the other person that was, there was another person that witnessed the whole thing. He said, they didn't do anything wrong. Let, let him go or whatever. So it wasn't a big deal. But I just thought that was a great example because that, that's what it's like. When, when we see where we've come from and we know where we're at and we know where we're going, there ain't no compromise. It's like, I ain't going back, all right? I'm going forward, okay? If you guys know the account from Daniel 3 of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're three followers of God living in exile in Babylon. And the king at the time, he builds himself this huge statue. And he says, everyone is going to worship the statue of me, which they refuse to do as God forbids the worship of anything other than himself. So it would have been sinful to do that. But what I want you to note, I'm going to read a, a portion of this account. And what I want you to note is their mindset that they displayed regarding sin in their lives because it's the same mindset Paul is exhorting us to have here, one of no compromise. It says in Daniel 3, verses 13 through 18, then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage in order that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. And when they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, it is, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I've set up? I'll give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I've made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Now see, that, that, that verse right there is the part I want you to really get. Because long before they got here, they made this, this, this resolve, this mindset of like sin's not okay for us. Even when they were faced with the possibility of dying for their faith, they said, no, I can't do it. I mean, God can save us, but even if he does it, I'm still not gonna sin against him. I can't do that. You see, they understood where they came from because the whole country was sinning against God and God exiled them into this foreign country, but he didn't abandon them. He said, this is for your own good. You need to get your attention back on me. I'm still with you and I'm gonna bring you home. Ultimately, home, home is to heaven, which is why they weren't afraid to die, I would add. But home, home, I'm, I'm still with you. I'm still gonna be good to you. So they knew where they came from. They knew they, where they were at. They knew where they were going and they're like, 
Compromise is not for me. I'm not disobeying God. That's one thing I know, no matter what it might cost me. And I point that out because far too often we set ourselves up for failure when it regards, regards to sin because we allow compromise into our life. We say things like, you know what? I'm gonna try to stay pure till I'm married. You know what? I'm gonna try to be like live rightly or, or um, be above reproach to have integrity in my job until it costs me something. And if I have to lie, then I'll lie. Or, you know, I, I could go on and on. I'm, I'm not gonna do this thing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop doing the sin in my life. I'm gonna get rid of it, but I'm gonna leave the option there. You know, I'm not gonna look at porn anymore, but I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna put a safeguard on my phone or on my computer because subconsciously in my mind, I'm like, if things get hard where I need it again, then I can go back to it. And see, here's the reality. What I've learned about sin through my years of following Jesus is that if I leave the option for sin in my life, I'm more than likely gonna jump on that opportunity when it comes. Like these men in Daniel 3, it can't be an option for a believer. It's already cost us so much in our life where we came from, and we're so thankful that we no longer have to be enslaved to it because of that. That's where we're at. So that, and we want to move forward. We want to experience even more of the good, pleasing, and perfect will God has for you, which doesn't involve sin ever, okay? And yes, I'm gonna fail sometimes. I'm gonna mess up, but I'm gonna be far more successful in living righteously and experience the abundant life God has for me if I have the right mindset towards sin and I don't make exceptions for it in my life and I move forward in confidence knowing God is gonna get me through any temptation I face. I can rely on him. I can have grace. Amen? That's what he's saying. And that's for all of us as a believer. And God's not a liar. If he told you he's gonna give you a way out, if he told you he's gonna give you the strength to overcome sin, you better believe he will. And there's never a reason, a good reason or any reason to ever make an allowance for it in our lives. Amen? So I'm gonna have uh, the worship team come back up here. And what we're gonna do is we're going to have communion because communion reminds us of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, the bread representing, the cracker representing his body that was broken, the juice representing his blood that was spilled that atoned for our sins. We take this in remembrance of what Jesus did for us and we thank him for it. But it also reminds us that as we talked about last time, we're not only freed from the penalty of sin, we're freed from the power of sin. And this is the perfect opportunity that if you have sin in your life, don't be condemned. Don't deal with guilt. That sin's been paid for on the cross. You're forgiven of it. Jesus loves you and died knowing you'd get, you, you were guilty of that sin. No, you don't feel condemned over it. You confess it to God. You be honest with him and go like, you're not hiding it from him anyways. He knows. You're doing that for your benefit so you don't have to listen to the enemy's lies of trying to condemn you and try to trick you into thinking that somehow you're not right with God. You're right with God. Not because of what you did or didn't do, but because of Jesus. So you, th you confess it and you thank him for that truth that you're forgiven of it. And I'm gonna, John says a lot better than me. He says in 1 John 1, 9, 
But if we confess our sins to him, this being God, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all, all wickedness. So when we confess our sins, there's something that allows God, it's like humility basically, because God exalts those that are humble. It's, it's admitting to God, man, I did wrong God and I need help. And then it allows him to help us by his grace, not our own power. Remember, grace saved us. Grace is what helps us live rightly. It helps us rely on him for the grace to move forward and not give in to that temptation anymore. Amen? It, it cleanses you from wickedness. So this is the perfect opportunity to come and get the communion elements. Be honest with God. Confess any sin that's in your life. Thank him that you're forgiven of it and ask him to help Move forward by his grace in the freedom that he's already given you to live in. Amen? Amen. That's good news. And then we live here, we leave this place knowing we're forgiven and confident with that right mindset. Not because of me or my power, but by the Lord, by his spirit, I can live in this victory and I'm gonna live in it, relying on him. Amen? So we're gonna have our prayer team around the room. If you need prayer, if you need to confess your sin, talks about how um, when we do that, in James, there's a healing that happens. I think it's just because like we, we inflict this punishment on ourselves when we're thinking we're hiding it and like God's disappointed with us. We just need to get that out. Realize that he still loves us, that we're still forgiven and there's healing. And then he can help us with it when we're honest with him. Confess it with your brothers and sisters around the room. We all deal with it. There's no shame. Nobody's, we all have things we struggle with at any given moment. And take communion on your own as you feel led in this song. You talk to God. Dear Lord, thank you so much for the forgiveness we have. Thank you for the freedom we have of sin, Lord. We wanna live in that freedom. We do. We've seen where you brought us from and we do not wanna go anywhere near there again. Forgive us when we make that mistake of doing those things that we know we don't need, that we know are harmful for us. What you have for us is so much better and we only wanna go forward with you. We're thankful we're forgiven of those sins, but Lord, we want to be sanctified. We want you to make us holy. We want to live according to your word so we can experience all the blessing, all the happiness you intend that comes with doing things the way you say that you intend to be done. So be with us now as we praise you and remember this great sacrifice you made on the cross for us. As we confess and we're open with you with the things in our life we need help with. You freed us from them, but we need your help. We need your grace. It's not by our might or power, but by your grace that we want to live in that victory. In Jesus' name. Amen.